Hey guys, welcome to Carol's Coffee House, a place where Catholic singles in their 20s and 30s can grow in community and deepen their spiritual life. I'm Maura. I'm Sarah. Grab your favorite cup of coffee. Or tea. And let's get started. Hey guys. Um, and then we have Sarah here and we have a guest today, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys today? I feel kind of well rested. I was up until 2 a.m. Oh my God. You feel well rested though? I got like six hours of sleep, but I, I'm fine. Um, I was in the game of favorites after party for four hours. I entered oh at like gosh. 10, I entered at 10 p.m. And then like we closed it out at almost 2 a.m. Yeah. Game of Favorites is a is a Catholic game show um, that our friend Peter hosts. And so every every Friday he has a game show. We host a game show for contestants and it's super fun. We're actually going to have Peter as a guest here mm-hmm. in a few weeks. So that's really exciting. And he'll he'll tell us more about that. But so afterward, they ha- we have an after party, which is where they just open the video link, the, the conference call link to everybody and everyone can come in and just mm-hmm. hang out. So a lot of fun to see everybody face to face yeah especially because like when it's streaming you can only like comment and then when you're in the after party everyone can like actually talk to each other and see each other's faces but that's yeah it's a super fun time it is it is kevin kevin did you make turkish coffee today i have not made turkish coffee yet i'm just drinking regular coffee but i probably will make a cup of Turkish coffee um, before mass this evening. When I was in the Holy Land, they serve you after meals. They give you, it's probably about an ounce shot of Turkish coffee, which is uh, coffee with cardamom. And then it's usually pretty heavily sugared. So it's like a perfect post meal drink. And I sort of fell in love with it. So then when I got back to the States, I picked up a kit and now I'm like hooked on Turkish coffee. (laughs) <laughs> you wouldn't it's want dessert. it in the morning like as your opening cup of coffee because it's too it's too complex i think it's like sugar and cardamom and it's very sweet but it's very good early afternoon or after a meal i love that you just use the phrase your opening coffee because <laughs> i appreciate that so much because like the opening coffee is what you drink just to, like feel life in you again and it's like not the actual coffee that you're drinking. It's just like, yeah, your opener. <laughs> the coffee you drink before your real coffee. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the one I call it the coffee of reading, where I have a cup of coffee and pray the office of readings first thing in the morning. <laughs> That's my opening cup of coffee. It's like I'm just trying to get through the <laughs> I shouldn't say get through. I'm trying to pray the office of readings and I need some level of alertness. And I have my opening cup of coffee. <laughs> I just drink the same tea for, well, I drink green tea. So I drink that for the morning and then I drink it like around noon just to kind of like give me that next boost. And then I finish the day with chamomile tea. I drink, I like Earl Grey. I love white tea. I drink a fair amount of white tea. What is white tea? It is the, it's the least processed of the teas. It has the least amount of caffeine. Um, oh, maybe I should try that. It's less earthy than green tea. It's pretty mellow taste-wise, white tea. So there's a I... terrific um, tea company as well in Wisconsin called Rishi Tea. 
Damn, excellent tea. That was good. <laughs> yeah. I like drinking tea in the evening because I can't drink coffee anymore because I want to I wanna actually sleep. But when we were in, I went on a trip to Ireland once and it is very common there. Like even in the pubs, like bars, you can order a pot of tea. It's a cultural thing and it's something, and it was so nice, but they serve like black, it's black tea. It's very highly caffeinated, but yeah, I never had also tea where you put milk in it. But I had it over there and it was delightful. It is. It was so, it was so cozy. It's like, I'll, I'll order a pot of tea. Yeah. Well, I'm Irish. So that's, I did not know people didn't put milk and sugar in their tea until I was an adult. Like I was like 19, I think like 18 or 19. And then someone's like, you put milk in your tea. Like what, what, what are you doing with that? I'm like, well, otherwise tea is just infused water they're like that's what it is I'm like what (laughs) tea is like you put milk and sugar in your tea like that's how you make tea they're like no I'm like and they're like what is this like because I understand creaming your coffee but creaming your tea you're like what and then it's like so that's so normal to me and then I go to Ireland I'm like oh yeah this is just how you drink tea and like for that I was like when people like oh you're going to bars in Ireland and yet you're not drinking alcohol I'm like you can buy tea in a bar like it's totally fine mm-hmm. yeah I think I drink a lot of iced tea and so the the concept I was one of those people where in, and like the concept of putting milk and sugar in tea and I'm picturing like the ice like like the the sun tea that you make on your back porch or uh-huh. yeah like regular iced tea it was just unappetizing oh. to me oh. but but it has to be like strong black tea so well I don't do dairy anymore I used to quit dairy when I was 20 but then I would use almond milk but I'd even put like that green tea is really good with with milk in it Ooh, I've never tried it before I mean I'm actually I don't think I actually like tea <laughs> <laughs> I only like tea I, I thoroughly enjoy tea with milk and sugar and I quit that for dietary reasons to help me like just to kind of cut more weight off but I actually do drink green tea for the sole purpose of detoxing my body every morning (laughs) like that's the only I drink tea is for the detox and now I now that like I'm 29 I do drink it to give me life (laughs) to wake up my brain So today I'm actually doing really well. My brain feels very alive, but like in the last few weeks, like, you know, my brain has been very like mentally exhausted and I need the tea. I need that caffeine to like give it life and make me functional. It's true. I feel the same way. Yeah. I had a decent cup this morning, so I'm ready to go. Um, (laughs) Well, and so with that, um, why don't we all take a little espresso shot (laughs) and talk about our espresso shop for today, St. Francis de Sales. And it says, it is a woeful thing to see souls beginning to chafe and grow disheartened because they find themselves still subject to imperfection after having made some attempt at leading a devout life and well nigh yielding to the temptation to give up in despair and fall back. And that's from his book, Introduction to the Devout Life, I think. Mm -hmm. I really like that quote because I can relate to it and I think a lot of people can because I think sometimes your spiritual life 
can rise and fall. Like you go through, it's kind of like any relationship, you know, mm-hmm. just prayer and spiritual life is a relationship. And I think that it, you know, you have times where you can be very strong in it and times where it's maybe a little bit more of a struggle, but beginning to chafe and grow disheartened because it's still, you strive to have a good, strong spiritual life, but we're still human. We still mess up. We still make Mm -hmm. mistakes. And there's that, there is that temptation to just be like, well, I'm never going to be good at this. So, right. This makes me think a lot about trying to get in shape like in the highs, like the, like the peaks and valleys that you go through with weight loss or like gaining muscle. And like the people that like, they eat a salad, they're like, I didn't lose that five pounds with like that salad last week. It's like, okay, but we still have to keep going. You have to still keep working at it and not feel that despair. Like you have to kind of overcome that and be like, okay, let's keep going at this. Let's keep trying mm-hmm. and not give up on this because if you do keep trying, you will hopefully see results. But they, you also, sometimes you do have to like mix things up in your workouts and in your spiritual life to kind of reach that new, hit that, like that next step. Yeah. I was struck when you look at the ritual book for the uh, anointing of the sick, pastoral mm-hmm. care of the sick, and you look at what are called pranatanda, Catholic ritual mm-hmm. books, they have pranatanda in them, which are sort of like preludes or introductions to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. When you go through that book, you can tell that the church views one's entire life as sort of a penitential journey. Mm -hmm. They expect you to live a life of conversion throughout your entire life. And then that sort of leads to the end of your life where you then receive Jesus, the apostolic pardon, hopefully your final anointing and you're entrusted back to God. But what's fascinating or what I think is wise of the church is just that understanding that the spiritual life is a journey and it's this continual renewal. It's a continual act of metanoia and turning back to God. And it's not a one shot in the dark thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why also the church has liturgical seasons. Lent every year is a call to renewal. And we do it again and again and again throughout our life so that we continuously call ourselves to renewal. You can't eat healthy, as you said, for a few days Mm -hmm. and expect to then live a healthy life. If you want to live a healthy life, you have to live a healthy life, not a healthy day, not a healthy week, not a healthy month. And what I think DeSales here is wisely pointing out is this recognition that repentance and conversion and the interior life takes time and it's cultivated and it's like growing a garden. It doesn't happen overnight. And he's giving some level of encouragement here to those who may have taken a few steps forward and then fell backwards. Yeah. I cannot wait to hear your homilies when you're a priest. (laughs) They will be short. Um, (laughs) I really can't wait to hear your homilies. (laughs) I always, uh, in third theology in seminary, where I'm at, you have homiletics in the spring because you get ordained a deacon at the end of that year. So they want you to have some practice preaching. And my first homily, I got worried because it was supposed to be five to six minutes. And I thought mine was going to be like three to four and it was four and a half minutes. And I thought to myself, if I'm already preaching longer than I'm, than I think I am, what's it going to be after 10 years of priesthood? I'll be one of those guys that gives, you know, 20 minutes Sunday homily. Oh no. My future parishioners have permission that if I ever reach the 10 minute mark, just cut the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) 
if you can't say something in 10 minutes then you need to organize your thoughts better yeah have someone from the choir loft wave like a red flag (laughs) i do think the more we the best we know information the more concise we can be and the like the better we're able to wrap it up into like a shorter amount um because i guess that's like kind of like writing a paper the better you know something the more concise you can be and like not have as much filler and fluff and i think that's what you're aiming for in your homilies Maybe. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I know in, in like the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, he's, he's famous for at the end of his life in his summa being extraordinarily concise and he covers things very fundamentally. If you look at his earlier works, which is his commentary on Peter Lombard's sentences, the sentences mm-hmm. was like the theology textbook of the time and everyone would write commentaries on it. Thomas is a little bit more wordy. Thomas was never super wordy, but he is more wordy and he kind of handles things not as concise, but then throughout his life, as his thought became more and more precise, by the end of it, he is just hitting things right on the right on the nose and sort of hitting things fundamentally and deeply. Mm, love yeah. it. Oh, that's so good. Sometimes there is a place for wordiness if you need to be elaborate on something, just to like make it a lot for nuance. Because sometimes things aren't always like clear cut for each situation. So you have to be like, okay, and in these other situations, but yeah, I love, I love concise. (laughs) Yeah. Well, with that, that kind of gives a good opener to what we're going to talk about today. And Kevin's going to join us for those, in case we didn't say that yet, Kevin is a seminarian. So he, our friend from the Catholic Twitter world, and he's going (laughs) to, we're going to talk about today with that topic of maybe you're struggling with growing your own spiritual life. Maybe that's something that you're trying to improve. I know that's something that I'm trying to work on just personally in my own life. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how to grow it, how to cultivate it, how to keep it going. And Kevin, I know that you had some thoughts that you wanted to share on that. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing with us, by the way. Yes. Thanks for having me. The first thing to to recognize Mm -hmm. about the spiritual life is you have to, you have to know what it is. Mm -hmm. And it, in the tradition, it's called the semen gloriae, which means literally the seed of glory. So you can use some of this imagery. Um, but at baptism, you are given sort of this spiritual organism, to use Gary Lagrange terminology. It's like a seed in your soul. And what happens is the powers of your soul, your intellect and your will, are elevated to the supernatural order. So naturally, we can only know God through creation. We know him indistinctly. When you receive the gift of faith, your intellect is now elevated higher above the natural order so that you know God now through faith. It's not the same way that you'll know God in the beatific vision. That's directly. But it is more than you know God by natural reason. And your will also is elevated Along with this elevation of the faculties, you also receive the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. You receive, as I mentioned, the three theological virtues, and you also receive the infused virtues. These are the infused cardinal virtues, temperance, fortitude, prudence, justice. So at baptism, you're sort of brought into the intimate life of the Trinity. You're adopted. You're an adopted son of God now. And you receive this spiritual organism. And what you should then do throughout your life is cultivate this organism. It is sort of like a garden. 
you have a plant and you have to water it and feed it and prune it and do all these things. And then sanctifying grace will blossom in your soul. And really eternal life is just the full blossoming of the sanctifying grace that you received at baptism. So at baptism, you have the tools necessary, everything you need to reach God and to reach your ultimate end, which is the beatific vision. So I like to think of the spiritual life then as a journey towards God. And on a, any sort of journey, you have things that help you reach your destination, like a GPS, uh, a map, for those of you who are over the age of <laughs> 50, I don't know, whatever, these maps, I can't. I can't uh, I still I like remember maps. the AAA, uh, the AAA trip kits. You know where you'd follow with your marker where you're going. I remember doing that. As a <gasps> my mom oh bought God. one when we went to California one year. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, now that I'm well into my 30s, I, I remember. I'm well into um, your 30s. <laughs> I'm almost 31. That is not well into your 30s. <laughs> it's old yes. school, though. Cool. <laughs> But yes, so you have these aids, these helps to get back to God. And then as on any journey, you have obstacles. So if we think of our spiritual life as a journey back towards God, we're going to have to do all these things that cultivate this spiritual organism. And the two biggest helps in getting back to God are going to be daily mass, not daily mass, weekly mass and confession. I always say that these are sort of the non-negotiables. You have to get to mass every week mm -hmm. and you're going to have to get to confession. And I think one should aim for once a month. Would twice a month be too much? No, I don't think so at all. I just think okay. once every two weeks is a good number. Okay. If that's people can't get there that much, then okay. at least once a month, these are okay. like baseline in, in the spiritual life, the strength that you use to assist you is ultimately comes from the redemptive act of Christ and through the sacrifice of the mass and through the sacrament of reconciliation, you are united in a profound way to this sacrificial act of Christ. Mm -hmm. And you're going to receive an influx of grace. And this grace is going to be like the spiritual food that you need in order to grow your interior life. Mm -hmm. So if you're not going to mass every week and you haven't been to confession in the last month, the very first thing you should do are those two start going to mass and start going to confession once a month. And I get that if you don't have much of an interior life, you may be going through the motions a little bit at first and that's fine. You may not like mass. You may really not like reconciliation and all of that. And that's okay, but just keep doing it because as the rest of your spiritual life grows and we'll talk about how to, grow it in other ways you'll start to get more out of mass your confessions will be more intense you'll just practices that you used to go through the motions with will then become like your delight mm. as you develop good habits it's sort of like eating well at first you don't really like eating yeah. well but then after a while you realize that it's better off for you yeah and i would also think it's a good idea in my mind, to think about penance as kind of like a workout, all these different practices as a workout, you might not enjoy them, but they help build your muscles and get you stronger and get you to a place where you're just better off. Yeah. And as we've talked about, the spiritual life is, is a journey. So you're going mm -hmm. to fall. And if you haven't 
been living out your Catholic faith, you're going to fall probably quite a bit early on. And that's okay. That's why that's what the sacrament of reconciliation is for to pick you up. And also you, in reconciliation, you, you experience both the majesty of God, which helps, um, helps you understand sort of the, the gravity and the malice of sin, but you also experience in a profound way, the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to, to experience these core attributes of the divine nature, his majesty, his justice, and also his mercy. And you're going to then start to understand and know God better and better. Mm-hmm. I really like that analogy that you, that you kind of started with of we are, we are the seed or like the seeds are planted in this. And because when you, when you think about it, seeds have everything in them to grow the same way to produce beautifully, like to produce fruit or to blossom. Like you said, it kind of reminds me of the parable in the Bible about the seed that fell on good soil, the seed that fell out upon thorns or the just rocky soil. About that. It's all the same seed. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind. It's just like where they were planted and how they were cultivated. We all have that in us. We just have to make sure that we're planted well and that we also take in the things that are going to help that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's in us already. We just, but you know, the sun and the water and the air and like everything that we take in is going to help us bloom and, and like, and produce and produce good fruit. It really is a journey. Like when you think about taking a road trip, you know, and like there's sometimes like, if, especially if it's a long one, you're like, oh, I'm going to stop at this place and pick up a donut or something because I'm hungry. <laughs> and you maybe, maybe you want to like detour and go see something cool on your way. And like, so you go off the path a little bit, but you can always come back and there's always a way to come back. Um, and it is a journey. Like what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, that the first two things, get to weekly mass, get to confession at least once a month. The second thing I consider pretty much a non-negotiable is prayer, specifically mental prayer. I think that one should try and pray mental prayer 30 minutes a day. The immediate reaction to that that people always give me is I don't have time. You have to remember a couple things that whenever you try and cultivate the interior life, there has to be some level of metanoia that occurs. And metanoia is the word that we see in scripture that we usually translate as repent or conversion. And metanoia in classical Greek means literally a a changing of your mind. It means to think differently about something. So when you want to grow the spiritual life, you're going to have to think differently about the world that you live in and, and things that you do. You kind of have to go through an examination. And the first thing you may they have to do is reorganize your calendar to find time. And I, I know I sound like a life coach here, but if you think of your day, it's like a bag, right? It's a finite resource. And everything that you do is like a rock in that bag. And once you fill mm-hmm. up the 24 hours, you're out of things. So if you're working, let's say nine hours a day, there's nine hours right there. Hopefully you're sleeping seven to eight hours a day. None of us sleep enough. So that's 17 hours. And then you have meals and maybe driving to work and everything. And next thing you know, about 20 hours of your day is taken up. So if, you, if you're serious about growing your spiritual life, the very next thing I would plan into my day is prayer. And 30 minutes. If you've never prayed, done mental prayer before, you may only want to start with like 15 minutes. But I think most of us who've prayed, done some holy hours over the years, 
can easily come in for a nice 30 minutes of mental prayer. Mm -hmm. And I'll briefly talk about a uh, way to do mental prayer. But first, I want to mention a couple things about a prayer life. The first is there's what's called proximate and remote preparation for prayer. Proximate preparation is what you do right before you pray. But what people often forget about is what's called remote preparation. And remote preparation is the way you live your life. If you're constantly scrolling through Twitter and you're constantly on Instagram and you're constantly doing activities that are noisy, and I don't mean noisy in terms of sound, but just mm -hmm. mentally noisy, it's going to be hard for you to sit down and pray for a half hour. So the first thing you may have to do is learn to have some level of silence in your life. And there's various ways you can do it. An easy one is next time you drive to work, just don't have any music on, drive in silence. So you get used to silence. We live in a world that is so noisy and Cardinal Seurat obviously has talked about this extensively in his book, The Power of Silence. We live in a world that's so noisy. Silence is, is like a foreign language to us and we don't know how to handle it. My old spiritual director used to say, in silence, you meet God and you meet yourself. And those are the two people we can't stand. So <laughs> remote preparation for prayer is just learning sort of habits that will help with the contemplative aspect of your life that you're trying to grow. Mm -hmm. um, get comfortable with silence. Mm -hmm. I think sleeping a good amount is paramount. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who fall asleep they complain about falling asleep all the time in their holy hours. And it's like, well, how much are you sleeping at night? Five mm -hmm. or six hours? Well, no wonder you're tired during the day. So getting a good amount of sleep, mm -hmm. being comfortable with silence, not always needing noise in your life. Those are sort of remote ways to prepare for your prayer. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true in this day and age of like smartphones. And like, I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional about my scrolling and the times that I do it. I don't know if I'm in the store and I'm in a long checkout line, like there's such a temptation to pick up my phone and just oh, see what's going on, you know, but it, it's a time filler really mm -hmm. more than anything. But I think so, there's good things about social media, but being intentional about it, mm -hmm. just not those little moments instead of filling your time with something that's noisy, trying to be more intentional about what you do. You don't always have to yeah. reach for something being comfortable sitting in that moment of like, I don't have to do anything right now. Mm -hmm. And just being comfortable sitting in silence and just mm -hmm. being in the moment. Yeah. And Kevin, can you just um, just briefly explain mental prayer and what that is? Yeah. So mental prayer, it's usually defined as a lifting up of your mind to God. That's sort of the standard definition. But I think it's, it's often forgotten that it's not just a lifting up of your mind. It's a lifting up of your whole being. So you want to not only engage your intellect, but you want to engage your will and hopefully also some effective, affective uh, emotions will be involved as well. And for those who don't know how to do mental prayer, a very easy method is Ignatian contemplation. And a great expert, another resource is Father Timothy Gallagher. He has a podcast, I think it's called Praying with Scriptures, where he talks about Ignatian contemplation more in more depth and better than I ever could. But in brief, what Ignatian contemplation tries to do is it takes a passage of scripture. So you could use this weekend's gospel. I think it's the calming of the storm and you read it. And what you do is in your mind, you're, you imagine the scene, 
So it has a strong imaginative aspect and you imagine yourself in the scene, either as one of the characters or as a third party. So for this Sunday's gospel, you may imagine yourself sitting on the boat and you imagine the sea rising and you may see the wind or you see the wind, you may hear the wind, see the waves, all of that. And you see Jesus sleeping and maybe you walk over and you, you wake him up and he responds, why are you terrified? And as you're going through the gospel scene or whatever it is you're contemplating, what you want to look for are things that cause you to pause, things that may stir your heart, mm -hmm. things that may cause wonder, things that you may cause some level of resistance. Often where we need to go in prayer is where we want to resist. Oh. It's one of the key things that I learned doing the Ignatian exercises over an eight-day retreat, that where you feel resistance is often precisely where you need to enter in. So maybe, for example, when Jesus says, why are you terrified? Something stirs within you. It catches you, your heart in such a way it tugs at it or you resist. You, then you, you want to somehow reflect this to God. What you don't want to make prayer is this internal conversation with yourself. That's not, that's praying to yourself. It's like quasi idolatry. You want to reflect your thoughts, your feelings, your desires towards God. You want to direct them towards God. So when Jesus tells you, why are you afraid? You may answer in various ways. And ultimately the end of mental prayer is the, both the principle and the end of mental prayer is love and it's acts of love and union of hearts and wills. So when your, your heart is stirred up and you stay in those moments, what you're looking for are acts of faith, acts of hope, acts of love, acts of contrition, acts of desire for greater trust, all of these things, you direct them then towards God and you lay them at, at God's feet. So you may imagine yourself in the boat expressing to Jesus what scares you. You may then wait for him to respond in some way back to you. And maybe he responds by giving you confidence. Maybe you have a new job that you're worried about. And you say, Lord, I'm just, I'm really terrified of this job. It is like the rising storm in my life. And Jesus gives you some level of peace and calm. Those are good times then for acts of faith to say, Lord, I trust you. I hand myself over to you. Make acts of gratitude, acts of love, all of those things. Then once you finish your contemplation, 30 minutes at the end, I always recommend people to thank God for, for the time spent, say glory be, and you're pretty much done. Now, obviously, the first thing people will bring up is, what if you don't feel anything? What if you're going through the meditation and nothing arises? Mm -hmm. There's a couple things to remember. First of all, the love of God, faith, hope, and love all transcend sensible feelings. It, they transcend feeling and sense and all of those things. So if you have sensible aridity, it's called, where you just, you don't have these affective feelings, you can still make acts of faith, hope, and love, even if there's no feeling behind it. Mm -hmm. The love of God is, if it was just feeling, it would make seminary impossible because some days I wake up and quite frankly, don't want to be here because the vocation is hard, yeah. but my love for God transcends those feelings. So I still persevere. I still get through. It's like a marriage. 
You're going to have days where maybe you just really don't want to be married anymore, <laughs> but, but you get through that. Right. And, and because love transcends those feelings. Right. And being with somebody, the feelings aren't always going to be there. It's not like, but you were with them because it, love isn't just feelings. It's acts and commitment. And you are in a relationship with the church as a seminary and you're just not married to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing to realize is if you don't feel anything, don't panic. Still, you can even express to God the fact that you don't feel anything and make sort of lay your desires out to him that, Lord, I don't really feel any confidence or any trust or any love for you right now. Can you stir these up in my heart? And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. And always remember, too, as that when you're going through sensible aridity, God has permitted it to sort of refine and purify your faith, hope, and love. So don't panic. Don't cut short your prayer time. It's really tempting to say, well, I'm not feeling anything. Therefore, my prayer isn't working yep. or it's not being successful and to cut it off. The success of prayer is not measured in feeling. It's measured on configuration to Christ. And so, which includes like an increase of virtue and of love and a decrease of sin. So someone could pray for many, many years and not feel a whole lot, but they would still know that they're praying well if they've grown in virtue and they love their neighbor and they're obedient and humble and all of these things. So don't grade your prayer based upon how much you feel. Would you also say not to grade it by how long you're praying? Yeah. Yeah. I think that setting a time, deciding on a time based mm -hmm. upon one schedule is good and just to stick to it. Mm -hmm. One temptation that happens, and it usually happens on silent retreats, is say you're doing a holy hour and the holy hour is very rich in affective feelings and in maybe of tears of contrition and all of these things. And then you extend it. So instead of just doing the holy hour, you maybe pray for an hour and a half because it feels good. And then you come to your next holy hour and maybe because you're tired because you spent an hour and a half at your earlier one, you have sort of aridity. And then you say, well, I'm just going to cut it at a half hour because nothing's happening. What ends up happening then is you're subconsciously judging your prayer based upon how much you feel. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's, you know, if you're going to pray for a half hour, pray for a half hour. Mm -hmm. With one exception, Ignatius does say that if you're really, really tempted to cut short your prayer time, add it may be it. helpful to like add a minute or two. Yeah. Right. Just, but that's an ascetical practice. Right. That was something that when you were saying like, if you aren't feeling something at like half an hour or something that you might be like tempted to like kind of cut it short. And I was thinking it's like, there's times where like my life is crazy and there's, I think I don't have extra time for prayer. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to add another devotional and I'm going to add one more rosary today because I'm like, okay, I need that extra time. But I also am conscious of the fact that that is for like growth, but it's not about the value. Like that my, the value of my prayer isn't in how long I'm praying. That was just something that's like, there is because some people are like, oh, I really should be praying for this long, but I'm only praying for 15 minutes a day. And then it's like, okay, focus less on the time. Like, as you said, like, okay, if you're going to pray for half an hour, do a half an hour, unless you are going through something, then you might need to add on to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Yeah, you, you may have to work up to it. Um, yeah. And if, if you're not used to praying, the first couple times you pray, you're probably going to have a ton of distractions. Even <laughs> now, some distraction you can manage, like turn off your phone, obviously. Seminary, I close my door when I'm doing mental prayer so that, you know, someone doesn't come in. But some distractions are going to be internal. And th- there's various ways to kind of deal with it. But I think the the most important thing to remember is that when you get distracted, don't beat yourself up about it. Cause say you're praying and you realize you're distracted and then you start to beat yourself up about being distracted. Now you beating yourself up is just another distraction and it just becomes a death cycle. So if I'm praying and I realize I'm distracted, all you do is just pull your mind back to your meditation. That's it. Just, Mm -hmm. and then continue on with one, one big asterisk I will put on that. If you're distracted about something that happened in your life, you may want to consider bringing that into your meditation. For example, if let's say I have a fight with one of my brother seminarians, right? We argue, he's arguing that John Duns Scotus is right about metaphysics and I'm arguing that Thomas is right. Maybe I say a couple words to him that are mean. And then I go to the chapel and I'm praying and I'm doing my Ignatian contemplation and the argument keeps coming back in it's very possible that the reason the argument keeps popping into my mind is not because it's a distraction is because God wants, wants into that aspect of my life. And in that situation, and it takes some level of just knowing yourself and discernment, you think it initially was a distraction and actually pray then with that experience and invite God into that experience and say, Lord, the reason why I'm struggling with my meditation is because I am upset with myself because, you know, I had an argument with my brother and then you invite God into that. So again, that just takes some level of knowing the art of the spiritual life, knowing when mm-hmm. a distraction is actually where God is leading you because he wants, you need to deal with that and you need to invite him into that aspect of whatever happened or whatever part of your day. Yeah. And this is especially a case like, the day before my ordination, I'm not going to be able to do Ignatian contemplation on some gospel scene because it's the <laughs> biggest day of my life is the next day. Yeah. So I'm probably going to pray with that, with the experience of the ordination. I'm not going to try and pick a random meditation from, you know, just some part of the gospel when I have this huge event the next day. So if you're getting married the next day, obviously pray with that and invite God into that experience. Yeah. And the key is just don't ponder the experience. Prayer is not just a mental exercise. You have to reflect and relate and direct your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your worries, your cares towards God. Don't let prayer be a conversation with yourself. Let it be with God. Yeah, Yeah, it is reflective on your spiritual life. I wouldn't sit there ever in a church and be like, so Sarah, how can you, you know, how can you like, what are ways that you can improve on this part of your life, Sarah? <laughs> it's the conversation with God. Right. And it's like, because we do have a relationship with God. Like that conversation isn't supposed to be with ourselves. It's with him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are the, the sacraments, mass, confession, and daily mental, mental prayer. Try and get up to 30 minutes. Those are the two biggest ways to assist your journey towards God. If someone does those two things, they're going to find themselves in pretty good shape. They're going to start to cultivate a very rich interior life 
and it'll really start to grow. And then along with things that help us reach God, we have to then deal with obstacles on our journey. It's sort of, again, like when you're trying to lose weight, you not only have to watch what you eat, you also have to work out. There's an active and a passive component kind of. So the biggest obstacle on our journey towards God, obviously, is sin. And mm-hmm. mortal sin, as people know, destroys charity in the soul. So it's actually a destruction of the spiritual organism that was given to you at baptism. And in order to regain that charity, you have to go to the sacrament of reconciliation and confess your mortal sin in name and number, as they say. A venial sin. So we can think of a mortal sin as like you're on a path towards God. When you choose, when you have a mortal sin, you've chosen something other than God as the ultimate destination. So instead of going towards God on your journey, you've now chosen something else. Usually you've chosen yourself. So you were going towards God. You were ordered towards God. Then you chose yourself and it derailed your whole journey. A venial sin is not the same. It's not the same derailment. It's sort of like you're on a path towards God and you kind of just stopped and maybe like stood off the path for a moment. You didn't change where the path is going, but you just sort of stepped off it. And then you have to step back on and keep going. So that's sort of the mortal venial sin thing. But more practically and more concretely, the, the biggest obstacle will be what's called a predominant fault. And a predominant fault is just whatever it is, whatever sin it is in your life that you're sort of like predisposed towards, the the one you just kind of fall into a lot due to our personalities and our manners and maybe our upbringing and core wounds we may have. Mm -hmm. We kind of develop a fault that just sort of triumphs over the other ones. and. To discover your predominant fault, usually all you have to do is think back to like your last few confessions, and it's probably the one you confessed every time. Yeah. If you're more advanced on the spiritual life, it gets a little bit harder because you've done battle against your, your predominant fault. So you may not, it may not come up in every confession. Then you can kind of just ask yourself, what do my thoughts tend towards? Other than God, where do my thoughts go? If your thoughts are constantly on like money. And when you're sitting alone in your room or laying in bed at night, your mind just naturally tends toward money and acquiring it. Then your predominant fault probably is something to do with like greed. So those are kind of the two ways to discover what sin are you confessing all the time? And when you're alone and when you're in quiet, where do you, where do your thoughts and maybe your desires tend towards other than God, mm-hmm. other than something that's, you know, good. If, if your thoughts tend towards like a good, then obviously don't worry about it, but it's whatever evil sort of fault that your thoughts tend toward. So once you identify your predominant fault, obviously you have to overcome it. And sort of the ways to overcome it are all the things we've talked about already. You go to confession, you may find that you want to bring your predominant fault a lot into your mental prayer. If your predominant fault has something to do with say like greed, it may be wise to pick for your meditation, maybe at least once a week, a parable or a a moment in the gospel that where Jesus is sort of preaching against greed. It may be the poor widow, right? Who throws the few coins she has into the temple treasury. It may be the rich young man who goes away sad. Hmm. And then you'll invite God into your predominant fault and ask you and help to overcome it. And then besides prayer, I think also an important thing to do is to avoid occasions of sin. I think it was St. Alphonsus who said, if we learn to avoid occasions of sin, we'd give up sin itself. 
an occasion of sin is just anything that sort of brings out to the surface your predominant fault. So mm-hmm. obviously, say if you drink too much alcohol, sitting in a bar would be an occasion to sin. It's right there. You may not have alcohol in front of you, but you've put it yourself in close proximity to it. Yeah. That's kind of a an obvious example. But sometimes we have to really examine what are things in our life that are leading us to sin. I sometimes people who struggle with impurity will tell me that secular music sort of becomes this occasion of sin and it leads people towards um, impurity. So that just takes reflection and sort of self-knowledge. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, You really have to know yourself and like what, what your natural inclination is. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And try not to open yourself up or put yourself in a situation where that could, that could be a struggle that you have or you could, you could fall into weakness. Um, Yeah. And do you have any examinations of conscience that you would recommend? Uh, Off the top of my head, no. The one I have is a priest friend gave it to me. It's an examination of conscience for priests. Uh, (laughs) We can't have that one. (laughs) We're girls. (laughs) Maybe if we like go, we're not going to convert. Yeah, but you're right. And you know, a nightly examination of conscience is, I think, one of the great necessities in dealing with sin. Just so because it, it calls you to an account every day, because what, what's very easy to happen is you acquire habits and bad habits are called vices and you acquire vices. And if you're not constantly examining your conscience, next thing you'll know, you'll have like committed a sin five days in a row. And all of a sudden it's like becoming a bad habit. But if you do an examination of conscience at night, you think to yourself, well, shoot, I literally stood around the water cooler and gossiped for two hours at work today, you know, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of make a note of it to say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to try and resist this yeah. sin. And if you have a ton of sins, if it's very early on in your reversion, you're probably not going to be able to attack all your sins at the same time. Mm-hmm. I remember early on in my reversion, I went to confession and the priest was like, Kevin, you have a lot of sins. Let's just pick like one or two to work on. And that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to pick your predominant faults. You're going to pick maybe whatever serious sins you have and really just put your time and effort at getting rid of those. And then once those domino- dominoes fall, see what other sins are common in your life and work on those and sort of just piecemeal it just day by day, get a little bit better. It's like getting stronger. You just get a little bit stronger each day. And over time, you'll get get to where you need to go. That's really good advice because I think for me, my natural inclination would be like, here's everything that's wrong that I want that I want to work through. And so like to try and tackle the whole thing, whereas just like picking one or two things to like really focus on and then try to improve and then maybe move on to something else. Yeah. And look for any sins that lead to other sins, right? Like Thomas talked about the capital sins and their capital because they would lead to other sins. If your pride is leading to three other sins, then instead of having to go after each one of those three sins, you just go after your pride and you cut the matter. So you can play, you can be smart. Again, this takes a lot of reflection. Mm-hmm. It takes a changing, as I mentioned, a metanoia, a changing of the way you look at yourself, you look at God, you look at the way you do things. But through this reflection and this examined life, all of a sudden you can start to see ways of improvement and you start to just kind of be smarter about things. You, you become clever, prudent. 
work smarter not harder yeah something that i noticed like if i have like tackled like i feel like i've tackled a big sin and then like it's kind of like moving a giant couch in your house and you kind of get then you're like oh look at all these little things that were under it (laughs) like because like all the little sins that you haven't noticed because you've been so focused on like the one sin but then like taking care of that you're able to clean up all the other stuff yep yeah, and don't ever get discouraged. Yeah. You know, you mm-hmm. might it a predominant fault. It's something you may struggle with for the rest of your life, and you just keep yeah. fighting, and you just keep getting better. And mm-hmm. don't give up. Keep rely upon God. Keep praying. Keep receiving the sacraments. Keep making examinations of conscience. And mm-hmm. this goes back to the DeSales quote we had at the beginning. You just you just keep going, and you'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, thank you for sharing. These are all good things to work on. I think it's, it's encouraging. So going over for grounds to cover for this week, we have a lot, we we talked a lot of like practical ways, but for this week, I think would be really good to maybe just try cutting out part of your day and have it be specific. Sometimes my temptation, because we are so busy, my temptation is like for my mental prayer to be in the car on my way to work but that's not yes that's not good because I'm distracted by driving and my road rage but just like being, fault. I know it really is it's mine too I grew up in California so it's just oh gosh um so yeah just taking maybe if you're really unfamiliar with just sitting in silence and praying just like start with start small start start 10 minutes 15 minutes though but just being able to like take a chunk of time where you are sitting and you are focused completely on your prayer would be a good thing yeah and then the daily examination of conscience um i cannot correctly say the name of this app it's the l-a-u-d-e-t-e ladate okay so there's one there's the confession in so for the confession part it has confession app for anyone confession app for children confession app for young adults confession app for singles and confession app for married and then there's a daily examination of conscience in there and i recently tried the confession app for anyone and i felt like it was just more because i looked at the one for young adults once and i felt like there was a lot they were leaving out because they were not considering that young adults also deal with you know everyone else's sins too (laughs) Or just like a lot of other sins. It's like, okay, there's other sins here. I know that exist. Please let me know what they are so I can like examine those. But the one for anyone I felt was really incorporated everything that I was needing anyway while I was, and then you could also click on them and it will check them so that you can bring that into the confessional with you and you won't forget what your sins were. Yeah. I think also, I really love to be able to pray a devotional or novenas even because novenas are, you know, you usually pray them some nine days. And so being able to just like consistently carry a prayer for nine days Mm -hmm. would be good. Or if you're not sure how to have a conversation with God, something that can help you along the way. Yeah. And if people want more resources on Ignatian contemplation, like I said, check out Father Timothy Gallagher. He's written some books on it. He has a podcast on it. He's really good at it. And you can use Ignatian contemplation not only with the gut, with like sacred scripture, but you can use it for the mysteries of the rosary and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And 
the rosary, if it's prayed properly, counts as mental prayer. It's, there's a vocal element, but if you're meditating on the mysteries, you are engaged in mental prayer. So for many people who may just recite the rosary, an easy way to increase their mental prayer is to just make sure they're actually meditating on the mysteries of the rosary, which is really the meat and potatoes of the mm-hmm. rosary. Yeah. Yeah. And then Kevin has a devotion to the Servite rosary. Yes. The seven sorrows of Mary, they are called. And the Servite, it's called the Servite Rosary because of the Servite order. There, I think there were seven of them who founded this order as servants of Mary. And the seven sorrows of Mary, anytime you see the number seven in scripture or Catholicism, there's a symbolic meaning of like fullness. And I think the seven sorrows is expressing sort of the fullness of Mary's sorrow through her spiritual martyrdom that occurred. But the actual seven sorrows are... The, the swords, right, that you see in popular art, the prophecy of Simeon, which is the first sword, the flight into Egypt when they had to flee, the loss of Jesus when he was 12 at the temple, the meeting of Jesus when he's carrying the cross, the crucifixion, the removal of Jesus from the cross into the arms of Mary. That's the mm. famous Pieta image. Yeah. And then the tomb of Jesus, Mary at the tomb. And those are also great for Ignatian contemplation because they're sort of the key parts of the passion and Mary. And I've, I'm noticing, because I think we're kind of in a difficult time for many people right now, that devotion to the seven sorrows of Mary is increasing. And I think a lot of it is people are starting to find some comfort in entering into Mary's sorrows and also bringing their own sorrows into yeah. Mysteries. Mm-hmm. My formator, he used yeah. to tell me, Kevin, sometimes for Mary's sick sorrow, the removal of Jesus from the cross, he says, sometimes you need to put yourself as Jesus in that meditation. And you have to just lie broken and beaten and consumed and exhausted in the arms of Mary and allow her to comfort you. So I, it's very uh, <laughs> easy to enter, very easy yeah. to enter your own sorrows into her sorrows and mm-hmm sort of find some level of comfort there. And there's seven Mm -hmm. promises that she gave to those who meditate on our stars. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. And your your Twitter handle. They sound pretty off. Is um after her. Is after that. Kevin of Our Lady of Sorrows. Yes. Yes, because one of the promises is an enlightenment about the divine mysteries. So when I was writing my book, I took Kevin of Our Lady of Sorrows as my pen name because I figured what better thing, what better gift could I have than sort of an enlightenment about the divine mysteries as I was trying to write about the divine mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the title of your book? It is, it's a book series. It's called reality series. For those Mm -hmm. who are familiar with neo-scholastic thought, they'll, they'll catch the reference to Garrigou Lagrange who wrote synthesis of reality, but it's reality. And it's just called volume one. And it's a book on natural theology which is technically philosophy. It's reasoning about reasoning about God using our natural reasoning faculties and not revelation. So it's a philosophical discipline. And yes, it is volume one. I'm currently working on volume two, which is metaphysics. And it's sort of just a side project that I have too. And we'll put your book in the description. It's a nice side project. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I had to finish reading the first one. <laughs> I've been very busy. 
Oh, I was okay. just going to say, I'm glad I'm honored that anyone has read it other than. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to like get a good insight into it, uh, Michelle Hollowell, um, she wrote a really good review on Amazon for it. Yes. And so did somebody else. Somebody else wrote a really good review. As I was. Yes, I'm honored that anyone took time to review the book as well. So I appreciate everyone who reviewed it and rated it and who got it. And mm-hmm. if you have questions about it, just send me a direct message on Twitter. I shall do my best if I was not clear about something. Kevin, thank you so much for coming here and meeting with us and talking about um, your spiritual life and how to really develop and progress a good, strong spiritual life. Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate it. So thank you guys for listening in. We hope to catch you next time. Thanks for stopping by Carol's Coffee House this week. We hope that you found our conversations to be uplifting and inspiring. A special thanks to our friend Kevin for taking the time to chat with us. And please remember to keep Kevin in your prayers as well as all seminarians as they continue to prepare for their vocation to the priesthood. We really appreciate all of your support and encouragement and your feedback helps us strive to bring good content to this podcast. If you have any ideas of topics you'd like to hear more about or are interested in, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at at carol underscore podcast or email us at carolscoffeehouse at gmail.com. Have a great week, guys. God bless.